21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Whatever your business is, you need to be thinking about language. Uh, whether you're working within your own country or across the globe, you can't allow language to be an afterthought, that there are so many factors if you're trying to reach out to a market, it's no longer a monolingual market, really wherever you are. And so the importance of thinking about that in advance um, and in creating strategies around it, as opposed to the, oh shit, I forgot about this translation. What am I gonna do now? Uh, which is how it often comes about. When you say to make a strategy, what do you mean by that? To think about, um, based on where I'm marketing my services or my project or my products, who are my end users? What languages do they speak um, in their in their own lives? Um, how do they like to engage with content? Do I need to be translating my marketing material on my website or my help information? Do I need to have a representative at my company who speaks their language for post-purchase support? Or is it just about understanding the culture of the people? And maybe you, you're not going to be translating your content, but you want to understand that you might have to market your product or your service differently, depending where in the world um, you're working. And where do you jump in with your offer? So we are an agency based in Chicago that does translation services. And so we help whether it's document, website, legal content translation, audio and video transcription, or subtitling and voiceover if you're doing an explainer video or e-learning localization. It really depends on so many different things. Um, you know, based on who the entrepreneur is and what kind of work they're doing. Um, but we can come in at any point and help think through what are the best practices around translation or, or language outreach and how can you do it most effectively and most cost cost efficiently? Um, because translation can be expensive, but it, you, if you're thinking about markets, you want to open your world. You don't want to close your world. Let's continue in that direction. So with over 75 languages covered, how do you source and manage such a large and diverse team of ling linguists? Yeah, it is large and diverse. And it's not just 75, because if you think about 
for example, half the work we do is in Spanish. So we need more than one Spanish translator, but we also need multiple um, native speakers, first of all, but then speakers of, of the region and the industry expertise. So translators that we're using for Latin America are different than the ones we're using for Spain. And the ones that are doing creative marketing translation are different than the ones that are doing legal translation. And so we need to have multiple, multiple translators for each of the markets. So we have a team, a talent, our talent and technology team is in charge of constantly recruiting and vetting and testing and qualifying um, our linguists to make sure that they are the speakers of the right language, the right region, the right tone. Um, they have the software experience, the industry expertise, so that we're providing linguistically accurate but culturally nuanced translations as well. And for all those entrepreneurs that are listening to us, and they are always hungry for new knowledge, from from your organizational perspective, how do you organize all of that? What's your quality assurance? Sure. So everything we do is edited um, by another linguist. So there's a second set of eyes in the same way that if you're writing the content for your website, most likely you're going to have somebody review it before the website goes live. Or if you're sending something to print, even if you're a great writer, you're going to have somebody review it. And so it's really important when you're doing translation to not just get it back from a translator and be like, okay, it's perfect. Let's go without that another set of eyes just for another perspective. So we do uh, side-by-side editing and then proofreading to make sure that everything resonates, that nothing was lost because ultimately we're humans. And even if we're using translation technology that helps us be more efficient, we still want to make sure that nothing was missed or that nothing was misinterpreted. Um, so it's it's a very involved process. Um, I talk about it like um, renovating a kitchen. You could find somebody to do tile and to do drywall and to do paint and to do plumbing and electric. But how do you verify the qualifications of all those people and time them right? Um, that's why you go to a general contractor for a big project like that. Similarly, finding an agency like us or like others helps make sure that you have, we, we've already done all of that work and we're constantly doing that work. And so we do all the project management so that you can do what you do best and not have to do my job too, <laughs> essentially. Let's go to the business journey. So uh, the inception of multilingual connections, what inspired you? Are you looking for an exit or this is your life project? Sure. So um, I never expected to run a business. <clears throat> if I had, I might have taken an accounting class or a business class at the university, things like that, that just never occurred to me at the time. I was always a language lover. So I love travel. I love language. I love teaching. And so originally I was a high school Spanish teacher, um, did some traveling got a great job. And I realized at age 22 that I wasn't ready to be done. And so I started looking into graduate programs, thinking I'd just, I'd get a master's in second language acquisition and then go back to teaching. And I found uh, a program in linguistic anthropology and it just immediately brought together all of the things that I was interested in, not just language by itself, but how people use language, um, the connection between language and culture. And so I decided to get a doctorate in that program. And so I went out to California, um, spent years uh, doing my coursework. And then I spent a year in Israel during, during doing research 
among speakers of a language that is obsolescing. Um, so a variety of Spanish that's spoken by descendants of the Jews that were exiled from Spain in 1492. And there's a community of people that still speak this language that's very different than Spain in, in the Iberian Peninsula and main in mainland Spanish um, because 500 years in isolation, languages evolve and change based on who they're exposed to and, and the world as it changes. And so I thought I would be an academic, but then I had an opportunity to come back to Chicago to work as a user researcher for um, a business and consulting, uh, business and technology consulting company. And it was a new way of applying all of my educational background, but in a very concrete uh, way to help create new products and new services. Um, then I wound up working for a fast food Mexican restaurant, improving communication in the restaurants. And so at every step I got further and further away from academia, but always with that connection um, focus, that language and culture connection. And then um, 18 years ago, I decided to start the business and I started it in my basement with a flip phone and a stack of business cards and the, the phone book, basically, and a laptop. And so um, over the years, the many years, um, the business has grown and changed direction. Our services are different, but the mission of creating those connections is always the same. It's December 2nd, the snow begins to fall. Babe, I'm getting ready. And what would you tell to yourself? Tell to yourself, let's say in, in March of 2005. Like that, yeah. <laughs> I would. I don't know what I would say. Keep up going. Sometimes, sometimes I would say run. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, there there are times, of course, as entrepreneurs, it's it's not all puppies and rainbows. So it's it's a, a fascinating, exciting, and fulfilling path, but it's also a challenging and stressful path. That um, you know, you honestly have have moments where you think, wow, you know, is this really is this what I thought it would be? It's a lot more work than I thought it would be. It's it's a lot more pressure and stress, but at the same time, it's so much more fulfilling in many ways than other jobs could be because you have that creative creativity and that agency to make it into what you want it to be. And so, so most days I would look back and say, just keep going. Um, make sure you surround yourself with people that are smarter and more experienced than you. And when all of the numbers tell you it's time to pivot, don't wait so long to pivot. And so, um, you know, there were some changes along the way um, where I was doing services that weren't profitable and were taking away time and energy from other more profitable areas. And it was a really difficult decision for me to leave those behind and focus on, on the smart business decisions. But I was very personally connected to those services and it took, uh, it took a long time for me to finally get comfortable with leaving it behind and making that decision to move forward in a different direction. So I would say, try to speed that up a little bit next time. <laughs> Machine translation is not new to the industry, and so the opportunities and challenges that AI presents are kind of an extension in many ways of what has been happening within the industry for a long time. And so for a long for years and years early on, 
in the business, in the translation world, when I saw um, machine translation, I was kind of digging in my heels and saying, we are a human company that will never be good enough. We're about humans, humans, humans. And then I imagined myself being on the corner at the street and watching the bus kind of drive away and people saying like, fine, you can stay there, but this is where we're going. So you make your decision. And so it, again, it kind of took a while for me to get comfortable with some of these decisions. And now, of course, we use machine translation at times. And it's not um, not exclusively and certainly not without humans involvement. And it's also not for every language or for every project, but where it makes sense, it makes sense. And similarly with GPT and AI, there are going to be a lot of opportunities to incorporate that in our workflows. It's still unclear exactly how that's going to make sense, um, but certainly the automation of manual tasks so that our translators and our project managers can focus on what is most interesting and fulfilling and where their expertise lies and getting rid of some of the manual work that anybody could do. And so it, it's going to enable um, a lot more efficiency, but but the jury's still out on, on how it's all gonna look, you know, even six months from now, much less six years from now. Initially, when I started the business, I, of course, was doing everything from um, doing the, you know, shopping at Costco for snacks for the office and cleaning and doing invoicing and project management and vendor management and everything. Um, and then I was um, pregnant with my son and I, I decided to hire somebody right after I gave birth to just kind of help keep things going while I was on maternity leave. And then I was planning on just going back to what I was doing. And then I realized, wow, it's nice to have help and I can actually grow the business by having more people involved. And so that was the beginning of having um, a staff. And now we are a team of 25 uh, throughout the world, plus our thousands of linguists and uh, market researchers around the world as well. Um, but I started hiring. First, I just hired people that loved language like me and didn't know anything about the translation industry. And then I was able to start hiring people that had free pre-existing experience in the industry that could bring um, new insights and new ways of working and new experience with technology to our company. And over the years, we've developed a strong leadership team, um, which has been great to allow me to kind of step back and focus only in certain areas. Uh, but about seven years ago, I made the great decision to hire my husband as our COO. Um, I've heard People talk about the importance when you're an entrepreneur of hiring somebody to do the things that you hate um, or the things you're not good at. And so I have lots of ideas and I'm the more creative thinker, but God forbid it's up to me to implement all of those ideas. And my husband is much more of a documented process driven person. He thinks about technology and integrations and and, and process and um, things that I, I just couldn't ever um, get to. I would be kind of trapped in my own ideas and not able to get past them. So I am fortunate that it was the right time in his career um, that I was able to bring him on. He's cheaper than, than if I had to hire him out um, on the market. Um, but it's and it's been a great shared project for us. Um, and um, and he we're both in it and it has taken so much of the stress off of my shoulders 
um, for all the years that it was just me running it, he would always listen and give advice, but it's different to do that over a glass of wine at dinner than during the day sitting in front of your computer and in the spreadsheets that he is as much invested in it as I am and um, has as much insight or different insight than I do. Um, so I feel tremendously grateful that we were able to make that change. Was I mean, was it a leap of faith at the beginning and during the years, during your growth, did you use any analogs? So did you copy some of the success stories, some of the, did you learn from your uh, competitors or did you do something completely different? So Antilog to, to find uh, your niche? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. And I would say <clears throat> most of what happened happened just kind of organically. Um, so when I started the business, <clears throat> we were focusing on um, customized language training for the workplace. So we're based in the Chicago area, a very diverse community and restaurants and hotels and manufacturing facilities um, have typically had a lot of immigrant workforce um, workers uh, employed at the line level. And they come speaking a variety of different levels of English. And the better their English is, the better they can do their jobs, the more safely they can do their jobs, and the better the opportunities are for them to be promoted. So I started with the focus of, of creating these language training programs for them. Um, translation came when somebody I went to college with one day called and said, hey, can you translate a website on bankruptcy? And I said, sure. And I hung up the phone and I Googled Spanish translation agency and I found a company to do it. And so originally that was just kind of like, oh, I'll do this little project and then maybe I'll do a couple more projects just to kind of keep things interesting. But that wound up being the profitable and scalable service and the language training less so. Um, but it, I still was doing the training. I started offering language classes for adults and language classes for kids. And it got to the point where I was running basically four separate businesses under one roof and trying to raise a child and trying to keep my sanity. Uh, and that's when I realized that I needed to do less and do it better. Um, and those chasing after a parent to sign up their four-year-old in an introductory Spanish class on a Saturday morning from nine to nine 50 AM, you know, that's, that's a very hard sell with a very small pool of people, as opposed to global translation services where a majority of our clients are in the U.S., but they could be anywhere. But it, the the pool was so much wider, and so um, it just became very clear that it was going to be easier to scale this these corporate business services than go after the consumer market. And so it just kind of it evolved that way without me looking at another company and saying, "This is what they're doing. This is how I'm going to do it better." Um, and so. Um, but it, but it's interesting just how much the business has evolved and and in very slight ways oftentimes. So there are some major pivots, but a lot of it was just kind of gradual. You know, as you um, you know, client comes in with a request or an employee comes in with a particular talent and an idea, and it just kind of like goes a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. And next thing you know, it's this grown up business that you kind of look back. You're like, holy crap, how did how did that happen? It's amazing. <laughs> Look at all these people and they're great people and they're doing great work and our clients are happy and everybody's enjoying what we're accomplishing. And so it's really like from a pride perspective, I look at what, what I've created, but also what has been created separate from me, um, this company that has evolved into what it is today. And it's so incredibly fulfilling and exciting. 
I'm a researcher by background from an academic perspective and then my corporate research. And over the years, as we started doing um, more and more audio and video transcription of interviews and focus groups, originally that was for academic clients. And then it became for market researchers who had been doing focus groups on products and services and marketing those internationally. And so we started doing translations of surveys and then we would do the translations of discussion guides or the transcription of these focus groups or interviews after the fact. But there was a big gap in the middle. Clients would say, well, can you do you have a bilingual researcher who can facilitate the interviews or the focus groups in whatever language we're doing it in? And I would have to say, you know, sorry, we can do before we can do after, but we can't do the middle. And then about two years ago, I thought, you know what, it's time to do the middle. <laughs> and so um, in the same way that um, all of the other services are about finding the right person with the right language and the right subject matter expertise, that was no different than finding researchers for these projects. And so we hired a multilingual research project manager and developed a suite of services. And so now we have in about 25 different languages, we have experienced researchers who are bilingual and bicultural who can help clients facilitate that that research process to make sure that they understand their market and they can hear the voices of their participants in those markets and develop businesses, business services and products that are going to going to resonate with them and not just products that you think will work because they work in one market. And so it's been really exciting to see the response um, from our clients. For organizations that are looking to reach out to a multilingual market, whether that's in their own country or across the world, um, we offer translation services of websites, marketing content, apps, that audio and video transcription, voiceover and subtitling, interpretation, and our multilingual moderation services. So if uh, there's ever anything we can do to help you connect and create those meaningful and nuanced connections across languages and cultures, uh, we'd love to help. So you can find us at multilingualconnections.com or on LinkedIn, Jill Bishop. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik.